Welcome to episode 11 of Tuna Fat with Melf and Grimmy. How's your week been this week, Matt? Yeah, very good, mate. Very, very good. Managed to get some training in as well, train some clients, obviously, outside. So things are looking on the up. Yourself, mate? Unpacking more boxes, one at a time, as they say, but it seems like an endless pile at the moment. Grown up life. And um, we've got a very, very <laughs> special guest on today, haven't we, Mike, as well? We have indeed. And before I introduce this superstar, have you ever played rugby or hockey, Matt? No. I'm too handsome to play rugby, I was told by my mum. No, I'm joking. No, they were literally at my school, like all, all it was was football, football, football. And actually, thinking I would have actually probably suited rugby a lot more than what I would football. I've got like two left feet. You ever considered maybe taking it up? I don't really fancy a dislocated shoulder, that's the only problem. <laughs> Welcome to Chewing the Fat with Melf and Grimmy. Two PTs talking about life inside and outside of the fitness industry. Our special guest is Natasha Brennan, 2014 Rugby World Champion, former England Sevens rugby player and also a former international hockey player. So, welcome today, Tash. Thanks for having me, guys. Nice to be here. Absolute pleasure. And just want to let everyone know how I think I met you. I think it was back in 2008. And this was back in the days when I was living in Canterbury, playing rugby. And I was in the Kent University gym and just on a Monday night doing bench and biceps, typical sort of standard <laughs> session there. And I was with about three or four lads. It's almost like the whole gym just froze. You were like setting up some sort of circuit with box jumps, dumbbell snatches, and it would just look really cool. And I think you just basically showed the whole gym up from there. <laughs> I think that's the first time we met. I think I came over and just asked you what you were doing. And it turned out we had some sort of relation through the rugby club. Yeah, I still remember that gym. It was a proper little sweat box, tiny. <laughs> and it was always full of rugby players, basically. Rugby, hockey and football, and that was it. Yeah, no, I remember. I used to love training there. But yeah, it was it was coincidental, I guess, as well, because of Canterbury Rugby Club, which is where, well, I started playing rugby at university, but then obviously at Canterbury Rugby Club as well. And so, Tash, tell us about your background of playing sport and leading to your amazing achievements. Yeah, sure. So I guess when I was small, I was like into all sports. I've got two brothers and a sister and my parents are quite sporty as well. And so I was always watching my sister play a bit of hockey and at school you get into like rounders and a bit of football with the boys and used to play a bit of hockey and do athletics. And then um, when I went to secondary school at Rochester Grammar, I'd always watched my sister play hockey and I was like, I really, really want to get into playing that more. So I went, when I went to Rochester Grammar, I literally joined all of the sports that I could, which was mainly hockey and football I wasn't so bothered about like netball um, but I think that's because there's the no contact element and I didn't like the restrictions <laughs> you know it's the way you could go when I was at school I was really lucky to have an amazing PE teacher called Debbie Wilmot and she, she said to me um, after like literally a session she was like you could be like really really good at this sport and so I was playing with the sixth form in year seven and she was like, I think you could play for England. And I was like, oh, wow. And I'd like watched a bit of 
1996 Olympics and was getting up in the middle of the night to what uh, to record like the Sydney Olympics and I was like I, I really want to do that my parents again were amazing and took me to a local club so I used to go and play at Maidstone Hockey Club but also my PE teacher would really push me into playing other sports so I actually playing county football playing county hockey and then the hockey was like going through like regional and then I started playing international when I was about 14, like under 16s level, and I can the football because I couldn't, couldn't do both. Yeah, and then just went through the ranks and was concentrating on playing hockey and was playing premiership down in Canterbury um, when I was like 16. Played under 18s, played under 21s England, England A, played indoor England, seniors. I got capped at senior level. So leading into the Beijing Olympics, it become more centralised. They were starting to get rid of the England A team. And so when you fall out of under 21s into senior, because they had sort of a group of players that they were going to take into an Olympic cycle and they didn't have the England A, you kind of fell into like a weird period. And so I was still playing like premiership hockey, but I was kind of like just wanting to do other stuff. And a couple of my really good mates were like, why don't you come and play a bit of rugby? And you might enjoy it. And I was like, oh, great, extra fitness, something different. I was probably having a little bit too much to drink. So I was like, anything that I can do to burn a few more calories as well, being a student. I loved it. I loved the adrenaline rush of rugby, like when you're hitting each other and running past people and stuff. So my first game of rugby ended up being varsity, which was against Christchurch Canterbury. So I, bearing in mind, probably prior to that, I'd only watched one game of rugby in 2003, which was when England had won the World Cup for the men. So I didn't really know the rules, but the girls were teaching me. And they're like, if you just get the ball, just run. And because I was quite fit, I was obviously quicker than a lot of the other girls. So I scored three tries and we won that. I didn't realise that when <laughs> my naivety, because I didn't know much about rugby, when you cross the try line, I thought that where you crossed it was where you had to place the ball. <laughs> so I was getting across the try line near the corner and just putting it down. And I just remember my mate going, Tash, it's really close in points and that makes the kick really difficult. If you cross the line, can you just run it a little bit closer to the posts? <laughs> so I was like, oh yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, of course. After that, it escalated. I went to Canterbury Rugby Club. Girls were unbelievable. I was still playing hockey at the time. I'd actually, because I was on a scholarship, I, on a Wednesday, I'd go from playing half a game of rugby, go and play a game of hockey, and then I'd go and do premiership training of an evening for hockey. It was just ridiculous. But yeah, and then I went to county training, got selected for that, then went to regionals, got selected from regionals to go to a high-performance England camp. And then they were having Open England Sevens trials as well. Yeah, and basically got into the setup and escalated from there. Wow, that is some accomplishment, isn't it? I, I was just amazed. I didn't know where you put the ball down. That, that matters. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, I, no. I got stuck there and thought, I didn't know that. But that is yeah. some amazing achievements. Um, you have Tash or Natasha. I don't be rude. Tash, Tash is Tash, cool. Tash, cool. Yeah. Well, and, you know, just literally picking up a rugby ball and taking to it like a duck to water is just unbelievable as well. It reminds me of someone else in this podcast as well you could give mike a javelin and he will become world champion in six months it's irritating um, so tash when it comes to training there's a big misconception when it comes to maybe aesthetics and performance 
and looking how rugby players train now, they train in a way that is a lot more specific rather than aesthetic. Aesthetic meaning, you know, like Mike was saying in his earlier earlier bit, saying about he used to do his biceps and whatnot and some what else you used to do, Mike? Some shrugs. Got to get the shrugs in. Bicep curls, shrugs. Yep. Bench yep. press Monday, bench press Tuesday, <laughs> bench press Wednesday. Decline, <laughs> decline Thursday, incline Friday. That's about it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Tash, can you give the listeners an idea of the difference with, let's say, an athlete training and a regular sort of gym goer train? There's a distinct difference in how you train your muscles, firstly, because I think when you're training as an athlete for performance, it's important to have training that is functional. So, you know, a lot of sports, you look at football or hockey or rugby or anything, they're multidirectional. So you need to be doing training where you're strengthening single leg muscles or to be able to cope with load from multiple directions. And then you'll have like different types of training with that. It might be muscle endurance, but you also need explosivity. So it might be that you're doing something that's like more explosive, more rest periods. Um, but then you also need the high intensity element so that you've got good cardiovascular and um, fitness, but also to have that muscle endurance as well. And particularly with rugby. And if you look at something specific like sevens, where you're on a full size rugby pitch and there's only seven of you, physically you need to be able to repeat high intensity sprints mm. over and over again but also being able to deal with the physical demands whereas sometimes I think aesthetics can be very linear um, one directional I think Mike's actually touched on it before with some of his posts when he talks about CrossFit but just because someone has abs and you know bulging biceps doesn't necessarily make them fit and I think there's definitely like a misconception as to if someone looks fit, that means that they're fit. And that's not the case at all. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen some big fellas go on the air assault bike and melt in about 30 seconds. And they look the yeah. business, don't get me wrong. They look the, good, they look the business. 30 seconds on the air assault bike, they think this is a breeze. And then it takes their soul away from them. I wanted to um, pick your brains as well, because a lot of performance training as what we see what's left out of a lot of bodybuilding and even even down to left out of a lot of, of crossfit is a lot of transverse movement a lot of rotational work at the moment now as a rugby player i'd imagine you have to do quite a lot of rotational work is it something that they sort of program into your training and factor in all these different planes of motion you're going to work during a rugby match yeah definitely i think they yeah there's a lot of like rotational work with weights like different sort of plyometric stuff where you're like having to bound from one side to another like rotational pieces a lot of like core core work as well with like bands and all of that stuff but also when we were playing rugby it wasn't just fitness in terms of like sprinting and um, weight training and when I was playing sevens particularly when we were leading into the Rio stuff and after that we actually were doing a lot of MMA training so a lot of the fitness was doing like um, grapple work isn't like ice hockey <laughs> is it yeah, it was quite because that's like one of the most tiring parts of rugby. It's the contact element. Mm. Like, obviously, sprinting up and down is hard, but it's when you hit someone and then you have to get to your feet really quickly or being able to manage someone in a breakdown scenario. 
and particularly in sevens, appreciate not everyone's going to know the rules of rugby that's listening, but in 15s, in, in a breakdown, you'll have a number of more players to be able to manage that area, whereas in sevens, it will just be one-on-one. -on -one. So when we were doing the MMA training, like we weren't doing it standing up, but it would literally be on all fours and you were trying to get someone on their back. Ground and pound. <laughs> I used to love playing sevens, but it was such a demanding on the body, like physically. I mean, growing up, seeing the change of the whole strength and conditioning, the way it's been done over the last sort of like 10, 15 years, and especially for junior athletes. I mean, I've had times when, when I was younger playing football or rugby and I've not made the trials. And if you don't typically make it at that level, I mean, does that basically mean that it's unlikely they're not going to make it as a senior? No, not at all. Um, not at all. There's a lot of players, I think, particularly like even when I think about in hockey, who I know that didn't play age group, but then they went on to play in the Olympics. So I don't think it matters at a younger age. And I don't think they always tell you that, unfortunately. Sometimes they think kids have a lot of resources these days. I've spoken to quite a few directors of sport in these big private schools and the, the resources that the kids have today is incredible. And I think sometimes they have all these resources and then they, you know, they optimize them. But then if things don't quite work out first time, I think sometimes they can think, oh, it's never going to happen. You know, I haven't played, I haven't been picked for my senior team or I haven't been picked at international group level for under 21. So that means that I can never play. And that's not the case at all. And I think it's interesting with the training as well. That's definitely evolved. It's become a lot more professional for, for, for younger kids. They're exposed to a lot higher levels of training. But I think there's also a danger with that. And I know, Mike, I think you do some stuff with the King's Scholarship Kids. But like you'll know that it's really important to be able to move well before kids are exposed to having weights. And I think sometimes kids that don't necessarily have that education or exposure for someone to tell them they can be forced into do into like a weight room without actually being known how to move efficiently and that actually leads to injuries earlier on in their career and poor mobility which I think yeah really important as you get older as an athlete I, I thought a hip hinge was something you put on a door I, was, <laughs> I, I didn't know it was an actual thing for the deadlift I just thought you pick it up as as fast as you can yeah. <laughs> so obviously uh, with, with some sports as well when it, we're talking like golf and bits like that you know predominantly to get champion level these sports people have to take it up at such a, a young age is it the, the, the same with hockey and rugby would you say as well tash no i don't i don't think it's quite the the same I mean, I know people that have like, you know, been playing since they're like four or six. And then I know people that have taken up sports when they're 10 or 13 or even later. I think you can take up sports at any point um, to be elite at it. Obviously, the earlier that you get exposed to it, great. But equally, I think it's good for young athletes to have exposure to as many sports as possible um, for a, a good period of time before they become specialists in something. Because I think that what you learn from different sports is really helpful when you actually do decide to maybe specialise in one particular sport. I think that, you know, the stuff that you learn, like proprioception and uh, spatial awareness and just how to play invasively I think comes from experiences from different sports and I think that's really important too. You've only got to look at the recent Michael Jordan documentary you know he's able to 
have a break from his NBA career and go and play baseball professionally. And yeah, if you look at most elite sportsmen, they're, they're mostly sport. Like Eddie Hall used to be a national level swimmer, that mm -hmm. sort of stuff as well. You know, now he's a, the, obviously one of the world's strongest man. So a lot of elite athletes have that, that ability to play multiple sports. And, and like you mentioned as well, I think one thing I see sometimes with really young athletes who've decided to specialise very early is repetitive strain injuries just doing that from a young age and then by the time they're sort of 15 16 they've got sort of long-term shoulder issues that sort of stuff as well i've got a bit of a personal question for you now tash i'm going to ask you about when it comes to top level performance is something like the menstrual cycle considered when it comes to training and performance yeah, I know it's a really good question, and it, I think it's a topic that's becoming um, spoken about a lot more. From my experience, um, so when I was playing international rugby, and the girls still do it now, and you'll see it across hockey as well, you'll have like an app on your phone, and each day when you go to training, you will say how you feel, whether you're um, on your period and then like what's your level of um, DOMS or muscle soreness so that they can track that. So it's definitely something that's being tracked at elite level, but I think some sports are more advanced in the way that they're looking at it. For example, with rugby, it was kind of looked at, but it's never been like a big focus. Whereas I know in some sports, they've like not enforced it, but they suggested, you know, like, do you want to go on the contraceptive pill so that you can so that you can manage when you're having your period? Because there's a lot that people talk about around being on your period when you're training and competing at, I don't know, like at particular tournaments or World Cups or whatever, because it does affect performance. And one of the things that used to get brought up in rugby with the girls that was always a bit of a concern is girls are more susceptible to getting ACL injuries. And um, when you're on your period, you're even more susceptible to being injured and um, tearing an ACL. So in a sport where you're contact as well and people are like hitting you at your knees, it's kind of like a it, it can be like a bit of a, a worry, something that's considered. Also, as well, um, there's been studies to suggest, you know, around your cycle that when you're in your, your period that you're more you lose your coordination. And I don't know the science behind it. It's. Yeah, I won't even try and talk about the science behind it, but I just know that like loss of coordination is something that happens and it's just can be unpleasant. So I think it's something that people are reviewing more in elite sport, but historically it's not something that's really been focused on enough because I think it does have an effect on how people perform. Yeah, I think it's it's such a it's an interesting subject and it's only been recently sort of a bit more researched because all the studies have been done on, on men in the past as well. And a lot of the research suggests that women are just smaller versions of men, you know. So looking at different stages through your menstrual cycle, for your follicular and for your luteal phase, as you mentioned, the late luteal phase is maybe when you might lose that almost that coordination. So having even with like my personal clients, having specific training protocols for different times of the month if that individual yeah. suffers with um, the symptoms of like PMS and free ovulation and whatnot. Um, so yeah, I find it really, really interesting, especially at an elite level sport about how, you know, if 
a match was to fall almost on the wrong day of the month when the symptoms were more profound, how would that affect you on the day? Yeah, I know. I think psychologically, well, obviously you've got the physical side of it. This, like, ha the severity of people's symptoms vary, I think, person to person. Some people get them really, really, really bad and it will affect them emotionally. It will affect, you know, like real chronic stomach cramps. And then some people have like, you know, less symptoms. I mean, touch wood, I, I always felt less coordinated or it was an excuse. I don't know, one or the other. But like, I've never suffered with really bad ones. I think it definitely would affect your confidence going into a high performance where you where you need to or in a pressured environment where you need to perform because you know nine times out of ten like anyone will be able to like empathize with like if you feel good you're more confident and then you're more likely to perform better and if there's the smallest of things particularly at an elite level that might affect that mindset or might affect your physical output then that's definitely going to have an effect it's such a fascinating topic and i've really enjoyed like a lot of matt's posts recently and just learning a lot more about it myself specifically and you know working with younger athletes is, is such a central topic for them to consider as part of their training regime and if you want to just briefly touch on the demands of say international sport for our listeners that'd be fantastic it's hard like when i was younger i always thought that playing international sport like as a profession would be amazing and it and it was amazing like amazing you get to travel to all incredible countries your sole focus is training you get to train three times a day which is any person that likes to train and is active is like amazing you get all your rest before it became professional in 2014 prior to that a lot of the girls including myself had full-time jobs so you know you were getting up at five o'clock in the morning and going to the gym doing a weight session doing a 10-hour day going back to going training of an evening and when you think about rest and recovery that's obviously really difficult when you're so busy you don't have time to spend on your nutrition which again is really important for performance when it comes to training and recovery so when going professional was amazing and having more time to to have recovery to spend more time on your nutrition you know more time to do specific training was incredible but it's hard. It's hard physically on your body. You're putting your body on a lot of, under a lot of stress, and emotionally, it's it's very tricky as well. I think sometimes with sport, you see a lot of really positive images of you know people winning and they're playing in the like in front of crowds and stuff, which is incredible. But you don't necessarily see the um, the other side of it where um, you haven't been selected or you get injured before like a really big tournament and you still have to turn up and you're sitting in the meetings and they're talking about the next tournament that's going to happen and you're stuck back doing rehab. It, it can be really tough or they've announced a squad one night and then you're going into training knowing that you're maybe not going to a tournament and then the starting Devon or whatever are running through and then you're there almost as cannon fodder, but you, you do it for the greater good of the team. But it's hard emotionally sometimes. And then obviously leaving that when you go back into work and you retire again, that's, that's a whole new transition as well. Cause you know, um, when you're always used to, you know, working towards a really big goal and then you take that out, 
it can I think it's hard to find motive like you want to train but you don't have the same sort of motivation so I do empathize with people that struggle to train in the gym or want to do exercise around work if they're not necessarily doing it for a specific goal our recent sort of CrossFit comp back in December we were pretty much on it say 12 weeks prior to it and then post that it's almost hard to really motivate yourself to find something yeah I find it quite hard after a competition sometimes you work up to something and you know you've spent a lot of time investing into this into this event and then you kind of fall off the back of it and you kind of don't to do yourself sometimes and I get quite lost in the year if I don't have a, a sort of goal in mind of just sort of sack off workouts I'll have a watch a bit of Netflix or whatever and just kind of lose my focus a little bit so Tash how do you find going from regular life before to elite level sport back to regular life how's that sort of transition been for you it's been quite hard I thought I wouldn't find it difficult because when I finished playing I was sad to finish but you know when you get to a point with something at some point you're like I'd be happy to not look at a ball for a while like um, but then it, it is hard it's hard finding a goal when you're so used when it's like instilled in you that you get up, you have to train. You kind of get used to the adrenaline rush that you get. And I definitely still get that after I've done like a good training session. Like I feel like way more content and I can actually enjoy my day. I'm like really, I don't know if you guys are, but I'm like the worst human being in the world if I haven't been to the gym or done some kind of exercise. <laughs> and it's kind of changing that mindset to being like, it's okay. And I think the other thing that I found hard, and I've probably supplemented it a bit with CrossFit, and but it's like knowing that you don't have to, when you kind of go back to normal life, like training, you don't have to smash yourself in the gym every day. Like you get so used to being like doing these super intense sessions because you have to. Whereas now I'm kind of like, oh, it's okay to do some steady state cardio. Like that's mm. all right. Like you yeah. don't have to kill yourself. <laughs> um, but that's where I found for me personally doing something like CrossFit just because I feel like it gives me a bit of structure to my training and gives me some stuff that I can work on. My mobility's terrible. So I, I like that element and it still makes me work hard and then I go home and I can chill. Yeah, and I suppose there's that little element of competition in CrossFit as well. So it probably keeps the flame alive in you, I'm guessing, Tash. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Like, it's, it like, it's competitive panel call and she's like yeah yeah i'll just go do some steady state she doesn't i reckon she goes in with intent to smash it <laughs> matt trust me if you see me seeing tash train mate I've... <laughs> <laughs> it's not pretty <laughs> that kind of almost concludes today isn't it i've really enjoyed listening to yourself tash and talking about your career and your insights into life and professional sport it's been great from from my point of view to, to learn so much how about yourself matt yeah, I think it's really good to have a female athlete on as well because it's, I think it's a really good role model for, for younger girls to aspire to, to be better and not like this sort of fake image you see on social media as well. So I think it's really nice to have you on it and hopefully be a role model for the younger generation. Okay, so and how can people find you on uh, Instagram and Twitter? It's Natasha86Brennan is my Insta. And then my Twitter is at Brennan underscore 86. I'll have a quick look on your Instagram as well before Tash as well and look at your squats and stuff. Uh, I, that, do you know what? I don't think my, it's only because it's rugby, right? 
in a room and you need to get through sessions and stuff they're like oh well your mobility is terrible so let's just have you doing box squats so you're there doing box squats at like 1 30 for three but then you go oh, to crossfit whoa. when i went back to crossfit and i was like oh no i'm quite strong and then they're like oh okay so can you just squat and they're like you can't get below parallel and i remember going back to like 30 kilos and i was like i'm so embarrassed but that's that's the humbling thing isn't it about proper movement <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so to wrap up today, I just want to say a big thank you to Tash coming on today and giving an insight into an athlete's mindset. Mike? Yeah, I'm going to let Tash do this away. Yeah. Stay safe, guys. <laughs> no, thanks so much for um, having me today. It's like, yeah, it's a pleasure to, to chat and um, talk about training and um, cool that you guys are doing this and educating people. I think it's really important.